Good morning. It is very hard following that act. Now you're going to have to stare at my ugly face for a couple minutes. Um, I promise you I will be short. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, let's turn to uh, 1 John chapter 4. And as you turn to it and I get my notes ready, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to make Himself known to us, to speak to us, and to stir our affections for Him. Uh, Holy Father, we thank you uh, so much for today. I thank you, uh, Lord, for our beautiful children that you have blessed us with that can proclaim uh, your name. And even though half the things they probably don't understand, you are still working in them and through them, and it's so exciting to see how they are maturing in the faith. Lord, thank you that we get together as a family of brothers and sisters in Christ, and we get to participate in communion and baptism and see our children sing. What a wonderful Sunday, Lord. Lord, I do pray that in the midst of all the hustle and bustle, can you just calm our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our ears, our eyes, and help us to stop and to listen? Can you speak to us? Can you make yourself known to us? Lord, one of the things that is always amazing about you is that you know each and every one of them in this audience and even though they might not know you you do know them you know their name you know where they've gone you know where they're going you know how they're feeling you know the struggles and their fears that they're dealing with you know their deepest darkest secret you know everything about them and Lord, I am amazed at Scripture that the Bible says that while we were still sinners, you showed your love for us and dying for us. And Lord, my prayer is as we talk about your love, can you help us to fathom just a little bit about it? Can you help us to be confronted with this question, do we believe that you love us? And so Lord, Help us to ask the question, help us to answer the question, and help us to turn to you. Lord, can lives be transformed? We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, uh, verses 7 to 12. And so we are in week 4 of Advent. And so if you're new here, or maybe you are new to church, and the question you're probably wondering, what in the world is Advent? Well, let me briefly explain to you. Advent is when the people of God gather to celebrate the coming of Jesus in humility, but it's also the anxious anticipation of Jesus' coming in glory. And so in our series, what we've been talking about in this season of Advent, we've been uh, talking about how Jesus is our hope, our peace, and our joy. And so whether you're a Christian or not, all of us can agree on this, that when we look around our world, we recognize that something is wrong. We live in a broken world, and even at times, we realize that our lives are broken. And we find ourselves in our brokenness chasing and longing for a little bit of hope, a little bit of peace, a little bit of joy, a little bit of love. And what happens during the Advent season, everything just seems to be amplified as we're longing after these things. 
And yet what we find ourselves, every Advent season that comes and goes, we always kind of feel ourselves a little bit disappointed because the things that we were chasing after, the hope that we thought we would have, the joy and the peace and the love that we thought we would obtain either seems to be we had it and it's fleeting or we just never had it. And we're dealt with the reality of disappointment. And so in our series, what I'm trying to do is to remind you that Chasing after these things, these longings and these desires aren't bad things. They're from the Lord. However, these things can only be fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're trying to do in this series is to show you how Jesus is our hope, how he is our peace, how he is our joy. And so last week we talked about how Christ is our joy and we said that biblical joy is not some emotion that we feel based on a favorable circumstances, but rather biblical joy is rooted in the promises of God and it is a confident cheer in the presence of God. And this is why when we read the scripture, we see the people of God, even though they go, they're in the midst of suffering, they're still rejoicing because it's not in what they're going through, but rather in what God has promised, that God has not abandoned them and that God is with them. This is why Paul, while he finds himself in prison, he writes to the Christians and he tells them to rejoice always, not sometimes, but to rejoice always. Why? Because biblical joy is rooted in the promises of God. It's a confident cheer in the presence of God. And because it is rooted in God's promise and that God is with us, basically biblical joy is rooted in Christ. Because Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, for every one of God's promises is yes in Jesus Christ. And one of the names of Jesus during Advent is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Today we're going to talk about love, how Christ is our love. Now, when Christmas draws near, many of us love to be gathered with loved ones. But like think about all the commercials, all the advertisements, they, they kind of paint this picture of loved ones, family and friends, people who generally love one another, gather around this extravagant, warm, cozy meal. And after the meal, they sit around the fire and they have these wonderful conversations of laughing and enjoying one another, opening up these gifts around the Christmas tree. If you're into the Christmas movies, Hallmark Lifetime or The Great American Christmas, what is all the Christmas movies all about? It's always about people falling in love. The sparks are flying. And it seems like regardless of your experience, like the perfect Christmas experience have one thing in common, and that is to gather around the people we love. No one wants to be alone on Christmas. We want to be around people that we love and that actually loves us and so in our own Christmas experience maybe for some of you you have these dear traditions when you're gathering around the people that you love maybe for some of you it might be a little different maybe it's not that picture but rather you're maybe mourning the loss of someone you dearly loved and you're just reminded during Christmas time they're not here and it's a time of sorrow some of you, maybe during Christmas, you just have bad memories of all the drama and all the hardship from all the previous years. Or for some of you, you might be wrestling with this emotion, this feeling of regret because you recognize that your relationships have been broken and you 
long for reconciliation, but because so much time and distance have passed, you feel it is impossible. And so regardless of our Christmas experience, if we're honest with ourselves, many of us are not going to experience the Christmas we thought we were going to experience that they advertise because we deal with the reality of people. And yet what we find ourselves during Christmas time is just this longing for love. All of us desire to be loved and all of us desire to love others. And those desires aren't bad desires. Actually, I believe those desires have been placed inside of us by God. But the problem in those desires is we're looking in all the wrong places for those desires to be fulfilled. And so my main point today, what I want to show you is in your desire, in your ache for love, for, for you to, to love others or for you to be loved, my main point if you're taking notes is only the gospel meets our ache for love. That, that's all I want to talk about and show you in scripture how the gospel meets our desire, our ache for love. Now, what's the gospel? And where did this desire come from? When you think about it, the Bible tells us in Genesis, before the world was made, the Trinitarian God existed in perfect relationship. You're like, what in the world does that mean? Well, real easy. What it means is that you had the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who lived in perfect unity and love and fellowship. And the triune God wanted to share this love with one another. Even though our love, that, that this love between the triune God, our minds cannot fathom, they wanted to share this love. They wanted to put this love on display. And so that's where, where God decided to create everything because when God created everything, it really was a display of his love. Think about the expansive ocean. Think about the shining stars, the animals of every kind, trees, bursting with fruit and all the beauties of the earth is a display of God's love and even though all of God's creation is beautiful the pinnacle of his creation when he created humans the Bible says that everything God created was good but when he created man and woman it was very good and so God created man and woman to live in perfect love with one another, to love God, to reflect his love, and to know him. And so he places mankind, Adam and Eve, he places them in the Garden of Eden. He gives them everything they would ever need. The name Eden means paradise. They live in this perfect, harmonious relationship with one another where they're loving one another in fullness, this perfect, harmonious relationship with God where they're loving God and they're experiencing the fullness of God's love. Everything they could ever want in life was fully provided for them until Satan enters in in the form of a serpent. And he puts doubts in Eve's mind, the doubt of, does God really love you? Because it seems to me that God is withholding from you. God is restricting you from not eating from this tree. 
And the lie that Eve started to buy into was the lie, is God really good? Does he really love me? Why is he withholding from me? Can I really trust him? And then the serpent tells Eve, you know what? You can be like God and knowing good and evil. And those actions of believing the lie, does God really love me? Is God really good? Does, is God really giving me everything I possibly have? Is he withholding from me, believing that lie and turning into that action of disobeying, rebelling against God was tragic, but their hearts revealed a greater tragedy. It was a rejection of God's perfect love. And as a response, fear, sin opened up their eyes, and for the first time, they experienced fear because now their perfect relationship with God was broken. Sin separated them. The perfect love that they experienced with one another and with God was gone as they were cast out from his presence. And one of the things I've learned that the Lord has been teaching me, especially walking with people and even my own walk with the Lord, is that one of the greatest lies that we have a tendency to believe and one of the hardest truths that we have a tendency to grasp and to hold on does God love me? And that's the question I want to ask you. Like, do you believe that the Lord loves you? And for so many of us, we respond to that question very different. But for, for some of us in this question and believing the lie that God doesn't love me, so what do you do? You try to be extra good. You try to work extra hard, trying to earn God's approval, jumping in front of God and saying, God, look at all the good things I've done. Will you accept me? And when you have a bad day, how do you feel? Oh, God is certainly disappointed in me. Tomorrow, I gotta wake up early. I gotta work extra hard, do extra more things so that God can love me. And we see God almost as this disgruntled father and we're just longing for his approval and so in our behavior we're trying to earn it and so that God could finally accept us thinking that the better I am the more God would love me that's some of you type a people and you artsy people no I'm just kidding for others of you you're almost at the point of saying forget this like, God doesn't love me, why even bother? Why even try? I'm just going to believe he doesn't exist. I'm just not going to follow him because, like, why waste my time trying to earn something I'll never be able to do? God doesn't love me, so I'm just going to show him the rebellious child I am by constantly living in rebellion. And what's happening, it's a train wreck, and you're just making it worse. But what really is at the root of all of this is believing the lie. Does God love me? No, he doesn't. Why would he? I'm going to give him reasons why he shouldn't love me. And this is the lie that Satan's been giving us. This is the lie that we have believing. And yet, that's the bad news. The gospel message comes in, and it says, no, God loves you. Because out of his great love for his creation, he doesn't leave you where you are, but he comes and he puts this plan together to redeem you, to reconcile you, and to restore you. And what we're going to see in our text in 1 John chapter 4 is we're actually going to see God's love displayed. 
How do I know that God's loved me? What is God's love? And then the impact it has on us. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. I'm going to be short. We're going to not unpack all of it there is. I just want to make three points from this passage as we see God's love. Look at 1 John 4, verse 7. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. If you like making notes in your Bible, like just circle this phrase, God is love. We're going to come back to it. Verse 9 says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loves us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is made complete in us. So a couple of things I just want to point out. Again, it's not an exhaustive pointing. There's so much going on in this text, but I just want to point out a few things. The very first thing that, that, that I want to draw our attention to that John is telling us in verse 8 is that God is... God is love. What does that statement mean? Well, well, that statement doesn't reduce God to an abstract idea or an emotion, but rather what that statement means, it refers to God's action. So when the Bible says God is love, it's not an idea of an emotion, but rather the best way to understand it, all that God does is loving. So in other words, everything that God did, when God created everything, what was that? That was loving. When God makes a promise, what is that? That's loving. Here's a trick question, but it's really not a trick because our minds won't be able to comprehend it. When God judges and rightfully punishes sin, what is that? That's loving. All that God does is loving. That's what it means when the Bible says God is love. So God... So now John is going to show us how God loves us. So if all that God does is love, how does he love us? Here's, here's the first thing that, that, that John shows us if you're taking notes. The first one is this. God's love is initiating. What's God's love for us? His love for us is an initiating love. Look at verse 10. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. In other words, what John is trying to do is he's trying to clarify love, stating where love clearly begins. He's saying, look, love does not begin with you. It begins with God. Your love, it's weak, it's fragile, it's inconsistent. We cannot be the measure and the standard of love. But where does love begin? Love begins with God. His love is an initiating love. I just love this phrase. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us first. Our response to God's love, that's not the standard or the measure of love. But God's initiating love is the standard and the measurement. He is the great initiator. And when did he initiate his love? During our assurance part 
Andy read, we read together to one another, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says this, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, what that verse means is, when did God initiate his love towards you? While you were showing potential, while you kind of turning the ship around and you're starting to act a little better and God was saying, you know what, that person is really showing potential because so if I initiate my love, then they're going to come back and, and reciprocate that initiation I make. That's not what the Bible says, but rather the Bible says, no, while you were still sinners. In other words, what that word sinners means is while you were still an enemy of God, waging war against God, rebelling and rejecting him, when did God initiate his love? During that time. You see, for many of us, when we think about love, we think about love as a two-way street, right? I'm going to love you if you love me. So I'm going to initiate and continue to initiate as long as that's reciprocating. But the second it stops reciprocating, what do I do? I'm out. I'm out. And that's our standard of love. But the Bible says no. God's standard of love is God. He is the great initiator. He doesn't initiate when there's potential for reciprocating. He initiates while you were even at your very worst. God's love is initiating, but not only is God's love initiating, the second point, if you're taking notes, is God's love is giving. It's initiating and God's love is giving. Look at verse 9. God's love was revealed among us in this way. What did he do? God sent his one and only son. Verse 10, love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and did what? Sent his son. Notice in two verses is the same thing. Sent his son. In other words, God's love is an initiating love and it's also a giving love. When did God send his son? Paul tells us, while we were at our very worst. Not when we were showing potential. Not when we're turning the ship around and say, you know what, humanity is acting a little better. I think I'm going to start giving. No. While you were at your worst, the most ungrateful, the most rebellious, rejecting state, God sent his son for his love is giving. In verse 9, God's love was revealed. That verb for reveal, um, what that means is it means that something was previously hidden and now fully revealed. In other words, God's love for humanity did not start in the sending of his son, but God's love for humanity was before the dawn of time. And even though God's love was partially revealed in the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament there's a bunch of Psalms, and what do the people of God say about God's love? His faithful love endures forever. So in other words, what John is saying is even though in the Old Testament God's love was partially revealed... It was fully revealed in the sending of his son. His love is initiating. His love is giving. And if you're taking notes, the last one is God's love is sacrificing. John tells us in verse 10, 
what that sending entails. God, verse 10, sent his son to be what? To be the atoning sacrifice. When some of your translations, it will say the propitiation for our sins. In other words, God and his love did not ignore our sin, but rather God and his love dealt with his sin. One of the, the human phrases in the 20, I don't even know where it came from, that I despise is love is blind. I despise it. Here's why, because it's so untrue. Because in our culture, when we say love is blind, it's saying, you know what? I'm going to ignore all of your flaws and all your imperfections because I'm so deeply and madly in love with you. How's that worked out in your marriage? Seriously, you got married and you're thinking, you know, love is blind. I'm just going to ignore that bad habit of him cutting his toenails in bed and picking his nose. And then five years later, what happens? He's continuing to do it. Are you still blind to that? No, you're saying, quit doing it. I cannot stand it. I hate it when you're doing that. Love is not blind. If somebody tells you love is blind, say, no, it's not. What does God love do? He sees our sin, and it's not, he's not blind to it. He's not like, you know what, I'm just going to pretend it doesn't exist. I'm just going to think the best of them. No, what does God do? He says, you know what, I'm dealing with that. I'm dealing with that. But he doesn't deal with it and say, hey, you need to deal with that, as we would like to tell our spouses. Hey, here's your flaws. This is what you need to do. But rather God says, hey, here's your sin. I'm dealing with that. I'm paying for that. I'm taking that upon myself. And how did he deal with your sin? By sending his son. His son became, his, became our atoning sacrifice and our propitiation. What does that mean, atoning sacrifice? It means that by Christ's death, he covered our sins. By Christ's death, he came, became the propitiation. In other words, Christ satisfied God's righteous and, dare I say, loving wrath. Christ satisfied it by paying for your sins in full, by redeeming you and by reconciling you and making you right. And because of Jesus Christ, you who should have died became alive. See, that's what our, our sin deserves. Our sin deserves rightful punishment. Last time I checked, you do the crime, you do the time. That's what sin does. You rebel against God, you face his righteous, loving wrath. And that wrath is not an outburst of anger where God loses his temper, but that wrath is an eternal separation from God where instead of living under his blessings, now you're living under his curses, eternal punishment. That is his ultimate wrath. And the only way for his wrath to be satisfied is either your death or God's provision in Christ, Christ's and yet, because of God's faithful love, his initiating, giving, sacrificing love, he sent his son to cover our sins and to satisfy God's wrath. Uh, Paul tells us this in, in Ephesians uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 4 to 5. Uh, Paul paints this picture. He, he, he tells the, the church in Ephesus, hey, guys, don't forget this, but remember who you were. 
You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived. And then he continues. I'm not going to do the rest of the verses. And then he kind of comes. And remember, all of us were rebellious children, objects of God's wrath. But then verse 4 is one of the most amazing verses. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love he had for us, made us alive in Christ Jesus. You're saved by grace. So, so in other words, what, what he is saying is, okay, time out. If I was dead in my sin, if I was an object of God's wrath because of my willful, defiant, disobedience, rebellion against God, what happened? God happened. Because of his character, rich in mercy, because of his great love. Did you deserve it? No. He made you alive. Why did he make you alive? because of his great mercy and his great love. Paul reminds us, and if you forget, it's not something you've earned or deserved. It is God's gracious act. One of the questions before we get to application, I'm I'm, I'm gonna ask the question, ask it again. Do you believe that God loves you? And I think, I don't know, my mind works. In order to answer a question, it's better, best to answer a question with a question. And maybe that's confusing. I'm just very complicated, unfortunately. But I, I think almost a better question to ask is, do I believe if God loves me? Then a better question to ask is, why does God love me? You're not going to like the answer. Do you know why God loves you? Not because you're amazing. You're not. I love you. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said it out loud. It's not because I'm amazing. It's not because I'm talented. Not, no. But really what the Bible says, and most people don't like the answer, God loves you because he loves you. God loves you because he loves you. Not because of anything you've done or have not done. He loves you because he loves you. There's this old hymn. I just want to read uh, these, these verses to you by William Reese. He, he really captures this truth of God's love. The, the hymn is called Here is Love. Just listen to these words, and then we'll do application, then we're done. It says, Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world and love. The story of Christmas is a story of love. This is why the world doesn't even know it. What's central to celebrating Christmas is love. Gathered around loved ones. Why can we love? Why can we love one another? Because God first loved us. How did he love us? By sending his son to die for us. How vast, how deep, how wide 
is God's love for us that pierces into the broken hardness of our hearts and invites us in through repentance into a relationship with him, believing this hard truth. God loves me not because of me, but rather he loves me because he loves me. And he loved me so much that while I was the snotty little brat throwing a tantrum, he initiated his love by giving his son to die in my place. And then John even continues, God loves you so much, he's not going to leave you where you are. He's going to bring you to where he wants you to be. He's going to perfect you, and he's going to make you righteous, as he's already declared you righteous. As he dealt with your sin, now he is slowly but surely revealing that sin, exposing it, and taking it out of you as he's transforming you from one degree of glory to another so that when you stand before him, he sees Christ's righteousness and he is committed in making you to become more and more like Christ. So here's the question I have for you, real simple. Do you believe that God loves you? Follow-up question and helping that is, why does God love you? Let me pray for us, and I just want to give you some time to reflect. Holy Spirit, can you just right now just meet us? Help us to be open and honest in asking the question and also answering the question. Can you maybe expose our fears and our insecurities? Lord, for some of us, we've been trying really hard to be really good so that you could love us. And if there's anybody in that room feeling like that, Lord, can you just overwhelm them with this truth that you love them, not because of their behavior or performance. You love them because you love them and you sent your son to die for them, and you accept them because of Christ's performance, not their own. And Lord, for those who have wandered away from you, for those who can't believe that you would ever love them because of all the horrible things that they have done, thinking there's no way God can accept me, there's no way that God wants me, there's no way that God loves me. I don't even love myself. Why would he love me? Well, can you just overwhelm them with this, with your love that we cannot fathom? Can the truth of what Christ has done on their behalf become real to them? Can it break their broken hearts as they turn from their sins and turn to you? As you continue to reflect on the question, do I believe that God loves me? Regardless of what spectrum you are, whether you're trying really hard to work so that God could accept you or where you're trying really hard for, for, for God to reject you because there's no way that God can love you, the response is the same on both sides of the aisle. If I believe that God loves me, then I will follow him and I will obey him. 
And what that means is I believe that everything that God tells me to do is out of love and it's for my good. And so this morning, if you can answer that question, yes, I believe that the Lord loves me, then my charge to you is great. Praise the Lord for that. Follow him and walk in obedience. And part of walking in obedience is what John tells us then, love one another. Love that person that's hard to love because think about God's love. What was it? Initiating. It was God's initiating love and his giving love, his self-sacrificing love. Love one another that way. And for some of you that you're struggling with and you can't answer, just ask the Lord to help you understand. Ask the Lord to open up your eyes. As we get to communion, uh, today we have the privilege of celebrating both ordinances that's been given to us by the Lord. First one is communion, later on is, is baptism. Both of these ordinances are visible, physical reminders of God's love for us. In communion, we're reminded that God loves us. What's on this table? His son's body that was given to us. His son's blood that was shed for us. And so when I have, as a Christian, if I have a bad week and I'm wondering, man, I've really disappointed the Lord. How can the Lord ever love me? I come and I sit at the table and I'm reminded God loves me. And how do I know he loves me? He sent his son. And his son says, hey, my body is given to you. My blood is shed for you. In faith, eat it. In remembrance, remember that God accepts you, not because of how you performed this week, but God accepts you because of how Christ has performed on your behalf. It's an act of faith where we're not looking to ourselves, where we're looking to Christ. And for this table, it's not for everyone, but it's for those who are trusting Christ and relying on Christ's performance. But if you're relying on your own performance, if you don't believe that God loves you, eating this wafer, drinking this cup, is, is, it's not gonna do anything for you. But for us who are Christians, we're taking our eyes off of ourselves. We're looking to Christ. We see the display of God's love for us and we say, thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us to keep our eyes on you. And then later on when we get to baptism, what's baptism? Baptism is a reminder that God loves us. In baptisms, there's this two-way, not two-way street, but the person who's getting baptized, what are they doing? They're declaring I belong to Jesus. But you know what's happening on the flip side? God is saying, they belong to me. They are mine. How do we see God's love and baptism? We're reminded of Christ's death as they're dying with Christ. We're reminded of Christ's burial as they're being buried with Christ. We're reminded of Christ's resurrection as they're being made alive in Christ. They were once dead in their trespasses and sin, children under wrath as the others were also, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love he had for us, made us alive. 
This is what we get to be celebrating. This is what we're reminded of. Man, doesn't the Lord love us? And as we get ready to to, to hand out these elements at communion, I just want you to reflect and just marvel at the Lord's love for you. And maybe if you're struggling and marveling, asking, Lord, can you help me to see your wonderful love that you have for me? Let's go ahead and distribute these elements. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, How great the love the Father has given us. Some translation says lavished upon us. I, I like the word lavish because it's not haphazardly giving, but it's rather this pouring out. John says, How great the Father's love that's been lavished upon us that we should be called children of God, and that is who we are. He made us his sons and daughters. How? By the giving of his son. His body given to you. Eat it in remembrance of him. His blood was shed for you. Drink it in remembrance of him. Can you just thank the Lord that he loves you? And that he accepts you because of what his son has done for you. And that even at your very worst, even when you have a bad week, the Lord's love does not waver towards you because he sees his perfect, righteous son in you. Lord, we thank you. Lord, help us not just to understand this intellectually, but let this truth like set deep root in our hearts. May it transform us as we're just overwhelmed by you. That you initiated, you gave, you sent your son to die for us. You did not abandon us, but you came and dwelt among us. Emmanuel. Lord, we thank you, we love you, we praise you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand, let's worship our Lord and Savior. Amen, brothers and sisters. In view of God's initiating giving, sacrificing love he has for us. Receive this benediction now, which really is a, a, a word of blessing to you. I know for some of you are like, why are we hand, holding our hands out? How do you receive a gift? With your hands in your pocket or hands out? Receive, hold your hands out if you want to. If you don't want to, it's cool. Receive this blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go now and share the love of Jesus Christ. Have a wonderful week, Forest Park.